This episode is sponsored by Kendo UI. Kendo UI allows you to build better apps faster. They have a comprehensive library ranging from data grids and charts to buttons and sliders. Plus, you can use their components as plain JavaScript as well as in Angular, React, and Vue. They have a large collection of customizable popular themes like Bootstrap and Material. Go check them out at javascriptjabber.com slash kendoui. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of JavaScript Jabber. This week on our panel, we have AJ O'Neill. Wait, I'm not on the panel. You are. Fine. Yo, 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 coming at you live from Provo. I mean, you're also our subject matter expert, so it's both. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv. Um, I just want to acknowledge, I guess, that uh, I've been out for a few episodes, just taking some time off, but I'm back and I'm feeling better. So anyway, I'm looking forward to talking to AJ about this particular topic, and uh, that is Let's Encrypt and Greenlock. Did I get those right? Mm-hmm. So uh, do you want to just kind of give a brief overview of what those two are? I mean, I use Let's Encrypt for my stuff, but I haven't really used Greenlock, so... Yeah, so um, Let's Encrypt is a brand name, like Gmail is a brand name. Um, it's also the first of its kind. The The specification, like the specification for SMTP or for, 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 um, for Gmail is email and SMTP. Mm-hmm. The specification for Let's Encrypt is called Acme. Uh, and hopefully there will be other brands that adopt that standard in the future. But for right, right. now, it's a joint effort between Mozilla, the Electronic Frontier Foundation, and then a, a number of sponsors. Um, and the what it is, is automated SSL, or technically it's TLS, but we all call it SSL, even though SSL died in the 90s. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, that, that's what I'm using it for is... Uh... It's it's free to get your certificate, and yeah, and then it provides the SSL or TLS encryption on your website. Yeah, exactly. So it is a protocol that allows different methods of verifying and authorizing a domain to receive or a client to receive a certificate uh, certificate on the be- on behalf of one or more domains. So you've got a device, a server, for example. It wants to get domains for example.com, www.example.com, api.example.com. This is the protocol that allows you to do it. And Let's Encrypt is the branded service that most people are aware of. Yeah. And I mean, it's interesting to me. I I use it basically, and I'm sure a lot of other people do too, because it's free. Yeah. (laughs) Right? It's free. Um, I remember paying for a, a wildcard domain. Um, and for those of you who aren't as familiar with the, the process of getting a certificate, wildcard domain is anything.devchat.tv. So, um, and you know, so it's got the splat or the, the star asterisk, asterisk yeah. um, you know, .devchat.tv. And uh, so I got a domain like that because I was doing all kinds of different things and I didn't want to have to go get certificates every time I created a new subdomain. And that cost me a few hundred dollars, I think. I mean, it was, it was pretty pricey. And then all of a sudden, if I wanted to spin up something new on devchat.tv with Let's Encrypt, I just go and ask for a certificate and it goes, okay, and it gives me one. So it's free. what have you been using to do that? Um, I think there's something called CertBot, which okay, is a yep. new package. I think it's written in Python, if I remember right. Yes, it is. And uh, yeah, it, it does all that 
good stuff for me. And then I set up, I think CertBot actually sets up the cron job for you to renew your certificate because it has to renew every 90 days. 90 days. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, so you, you can either set up a cron job or you can, you know, install some program that will go and renew your certificate for you with the Let's Encrypt. Okay. So bringing up CertBot, this is the reason that I originally created GreenLock. Um, I wanted to be able to get, because what I've been working on for quite a long time is towards having home servers, having devices in the home that can do cloudy stuff without having to pay rent to some cloud provider. And so I wanted to get um, HTTPS on small devices like Raspberry Pis. And at the time, I don't know if this is still the case, but when it came out, it used so much RAM with that Python client that it wasn't possible to, to use it um, on, on Raspberry Pis. Or if it was, it was like tedious and you had to do like a, a lot of extra steps or download a lot of stuff. I don't remember what it was, but it was like, it was very difficult to use in the beginning on a Raspberry Pi. And that's why I initially um, developed Greenlock. So Greenlock actually does what CertBot does um, in a more simplified form. So it doesn't manage Apache and Nginx or any of that. It simply manages a certificates directory and it manages it in a very similar way to what CertBot will do, where the file structure is, is based off of the default configuration is not to use a database, but to use the same file structure that CertBot uses. Right. And uh, so it was kind of, it started out as a CertBot clone, more or less. CertBot wasn't even called CertBot back then. It was called Let's Encrypt. And this GreenLock was also called Let's Encrypt back then. But then because they were trying to establish the brand identity of Let's Encrypt as a, um, as a service provider and not as a utility tool, they split off the Let's Encrypt Python client to be called CertBot and handed it over to the EFF website. And then I renamed my Node.js Let's Encrypt client to GreenLock.js. Um, and what it does that's different than CertBot is you were talking about how you know, it has to do the renew renewal and have a cron job. Well, if you want something that's going to work um, you know, if you if you if you're imagining a, a peer-to-peer network where some devices are Windows, some devices are Mac, some devices are mm -hmm. Linux, um, relying on a system-specific tool like cron that's going to work differently on different systems or may not be available or may need extra setup steps um, isn't maybe realistic. And so, by building the client in Node.js, I've made it so that it can work on Windows, on Mac, on Linux, on Raspberry Pi. Um, all with very minimal download cost, very minimal CPU setup cost, and it can perform the renewal function inside of a Node.js app. So it can work standalone, just like the CertBot CLI can. Mm -hmm. It has a, it has, you know, when you install it, it, it has a CLI tool that you can use, but really the best use for it is if you're building something where you want to have HTTPS on devices and um, you want to build a node app that, that uses that encryption. So to have a, a Windows computer and a Mac computer talk to each other um, by a domain name. That's what, I, that's what I really built it for. And that's what I see a lot of when I see questions on Stack Overflow coming in. Um, 
I, I'm really excited to see that people are doing interesting things like they're building HTTPS proxies. And I can tell from like their code and their comments, like when they're sharing with me their issues that they're doing the same thing that I'm doing. And it's really validating to see like this growth of, of this uh, like indie web or peer web or web 3.0, whatever we want to call it. I'm, I'm really excited to see that people are interested in it. And that's in fact, one of the predominant use cases for Greenlock. Gotcha. So you want to just walk us through what it's like to use Greenlock? Yeah. So there's a couple of different ways to use it. Um, one is the CLI. So you uh, you can NPM install it. Let me actually open up the docs here myself. I've been trying to make it so that it is not too node specific. So there's also some install stru- instructions that just do curl bash. And I, I plan to get something like that for Windows. And in fact, we're, we're working on a... Um, a desktop client so that you could for particularly for windows people so that you could actually host a website from a desktop. Sorry, I'm tangenting a little. Um, So you NPM install dash G Greenlock CLI, if you want to use the CLI, and then that's a great way to test it out. Um, It supports Acme version two, or it's actually Acme draft 11 slash draft 12, but people mistakenly call it version two. And so I, do that too sometimes. Um, and it's version two because it's Let's Encrypt version two, right? Yes. So yeah, Let's Encrypt version one was actually a pre-draft uh, implementation. So they were just kind of goofing around, if you will, trying to figure it out. Uh-huh. And draft 12 is the latest. And there's really only changes in the error handlers from draft 11. Um, and that's what they call V2. And I'm hoping, fingers crossed, that's what will actually get finalized in the spec. It seems like it's pretty good um so it'd be finalized in the spec as version one i'm guessing that they're going to call it version three. <laughs> oh, you think so <laughs> I, we'll, we'll see if there's any breaking changes i think that the first version the first official version will probably be version three because there's so much of this confusing around like the branding versus the spec versus right what's open source what's what's uh i mean the branded stuff is still quote open source but it's it's branded it's trademarked it's right so it's got that. Anyway, so you you can um, you can run it and then give it some command line options. Like in the documentation, you can see it's it's actually a, a clone of the early version of of Certbot. So some of the options have changed since then and they diverged. But you know dash dash domains and you give it a list of mm-hmm. domains or whatever. So if you're familiar with that, that's how the CLI version works. But what's really more interesting is what I call Greenlock Express. So I have a couple different flavors of it, and it's it's just kind of to present documentation differently to different people based on their needs. So there's Greenlock CLI, and that's just the, the CLI component. There's Greenlock, which is the core library, and then there's Greenlock Express, which is like the fast and simple way to use it, the way that I think most people are using Node, which is with Express apps. So you just require it, um, because of the version changes and the incompatibility in the spec, there's no version defined. And so when there's a version change, there's no um, like super simple way to duct type and say, um, you know, because the string says version two, therefore it's version two. It's you get back an object and the object matches whatever version it is. This is something the user doesn't have to deal with, but this is this is a little bit different. Usually you don't have to specify the version of an API that you're connecting to, but because of its history um, and most people I think are still on the version one 
API. Um, there's actually a version parameter, and then there's a server parameter. Um, so the the idea with the Acme spec is that it will work just you know similarly to email, where there's Gmail offers an email account, Yahoo offers an email account. Well, hopefully in the future, we'll see Google will offer, once the spec is finalized, I think is when companies will start investing, but hopefully we'll see, you know, GoDaddy has an Acme server and Google has an Acme server and Let's Encrypt has an Acme server. And um, there's a security policy in place where you can define, like this is one of the best improvements in the web, especially for the peer web, is that in the, in the old days, the way that certificate authorities worked was that if you bought a certificate from, say, uh, VeriSign, well, any certificate authority in the world is authorized to sign any domain. So right. even though I bought my certificate through VeriSign, if someone were somehow able to get a root key of another certificate authority and be able to, to it wouldn't even be a forged certificate, it would be an authentic certificate. If they were able to put that on their server, they could redirect traffic and to everyone would see the green lock and it would look like, oh, your site is secure. Mm -hmm. This is the real site when actually it isn't. So one of the, the best things that Let's Encrypt has uh, caused is now um, in your DNS settings, you can do what's called a CAA record. I think it's like certificates, authority, acceptance or something like that. So you can actually say only... You know, a browser should only trust a certificate if it's from letsencrypt.org or whatever your right. authority is, which um, is, is really great. So in the library, I, I don't just assume that you're using letsencrypt.org. I give you that in the example and the copy and paste in all of the you know, example files. That's the URL that I use. But it's, it's um, always exposed as an explicit option um, and I'm hoping that my optimism for others to adopt this will bring that about and that that will become useful. And so people will choose different servers and then they'll set their DNS records to say, hey, only trust this. That way, when we have those occasional incidences where a root key gets compromised, um, your site would not be compromised because your DNS record says which authorities the browser should trust. Right. That makes sense. Um, then there's also a couple of other options that are specified, like the keys uh, will either need to be saved to a database or to a file system. The default is to save it to a file system, so you give it the path. Um, and you put in your email address, which uh, is dual purpose. So one, it's uh, going to be connected to your account with Let's Encrypt. Um, two, it will be registered with Greenlock so that if we have a security update or something that we need to be able to notify you, um, or if there's a mandatory change in the API that's a, a breaking change that's going to happen or something like that, we can notify the people that are integrating using Greenlock um, so that they'll be able to, to get that update and not have um, disruption of service, as well as we have a couple options in the config for submitting telemetry and uh, being part of the community so that you could get other important updates and so that we can know how people are using Greenlock and be able to make it better. And then the most important option is that you give your Express app. So mm -hmm. most people, I think, when they use Express, they're familiar with you do var Express equals require Express, var app equals Express invoke, and then app.use, give it some functions, you know, res.send hello world, and then app.listen, an important number, like app.listen3000. 
Mm-hmm. So um, with with Greenlock, it handles the Acme challenges automatically, um, and it handles some of the the TLS stuff automatically. So you can actually just create a new folder on your um, you know in slash serve slash dub 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 slash newsite.com and uh, there's there's a callback that you could say hey what I want is to check this folder when um, when a new domain comes in and if that folder exists then go ahead and allow the domain through so because there's all of this uh, stuff that goes on in lower levels of node that most people don't deal with um, greenlock takes care of all of that in the the SNI callback layer of the HTTPS module, and then handling the redirect of the HTTP module to go to HTTPS, and also handling the challenges that come in over HTTP. Handles all of that, and then your Express app is just your normal Express app, as if you were to call it with .listen3000, except you don't. Instead, you do module.export equals app, Mm-hmm. That gets handed to Greenlock as the app parameter, and then your app functions as normal, um, but now it's being handed an encrypted, uh, well, a decrypted connection that was secure and encrypted, and it never sees the unencrypted traffic. That's cool. So you could conceivably even host without using something like Nginx or Apache or anything like that? Yes. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And... Node, I will tell you firsthand as someone that is dug into the the nasty and the networking stack a little bit, Node is not your best option for all types of web serving. In a lot of cases, something like Nginx, Caddy, or Lighty um, will do a much better job. But for these specific use cases where you're um, in an IoT industry, whether an enterprise or doing devices in the home, smart devices, that sort of thing, mm-hmm. um, where you need a, a tighter integration and, and you want a small portable code base, Node can be a great platform for that. Gotcha. You know, so it's not, if you're geared on, you know, really strong byte per second performance, you know, you're going to handle 10,000 requests. You do want to separate your static files out to something different. Um, and Greenlock could still work for you in that case because it's a great integration tool. If you wanted to do an enterprise Let's Encrypt integration, Greenlock is a great tool for that. But you wouldn't use Greenlock also to do the web serving. You would just use it as the integration to handle um, it has a plugin system that's in the documentation, and we already have um, plugins for like uh, Cloudflare, Route 53, DigitalOcean, Azure, um, S3, Console, Redis. So uh, these types of things are available if you want to go above and beyond and build something that's more um, systematic to be able to manage your certificates and pass them back and forth between devices that maybe aren't even powerful enough to run Node or or just because Node's convenient to do that work in. That makes sense. Uh, how does it work with things like Docker? So, you know, I have not really played much with Docker. To me, a lot of these things that other people see as convenient, I see as adding complexity that doesn't need to be there. Um, I think that's fair in some circumstances and probably not fair in others. I, I, think, uh, I think there are some times where Docker really makes things easier but if, if your focus is iot or self-hosted or blah 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 you know 
fill in the blank where you you have some constraints or you have something simple, then yeah, Docker probably is overkill. So it works with Docker. I've had issues where people have brought up like, oh, I'm doing this with Docker and blah, blah, blah. And it works for them. You know, they, they had some little thing that they, uh, usually it's um, the port forwarding, because if you're using Docker, you, you don't have to use internally in Greenlock, you don't have to use ports 80 and 443. Right. So that's the Acme spec. You, you either have to use the HTTP module, which we provide by default in Greenlock, or we also provide a plugin for a DNS module of your choice. And that's where I was mentioning Route 53 and Cloudflare, DigitalOcean. People have built plugins for those so that you can use them. Mm-hmm. Um, but when, you, when you're doing your Let's Encrypt, uh, the, the standard version, um, the standard way to do it with the HTTP validation um, is to do on port 80 and 443. Yeah. You can't change that. So if you're in Docker... I give you the option to be able to change those. And then oftentimes on the outside, you're listening on 80 and 443. And then Docker might be listening on 3000 and yeah. 8443. Yeah, that makes sense. But it uh, it works. One thing that you have to be aware of if you're using any type of ephemeral system, meaning a system where sometimes the storage is present and sometimes it's not, or between reboots, the storage resets, Mm-hmm. Um, is that you you can't use the default file system plugin. You'll need to look at one of the plugins that use a database um, and use that instead because otherwise when you reboot that system, you'll delete all of your uh, account information for Acme and Let's Encrypt and then you'll end up hitting rate limits because you're only allowed to create so many um, accounts per IP address and register so many domains per IP address and per week and things like that. So if you're on an ephemeral system where every time it boots, you're doing that whole process again, you could run into rate limit issues with the the Let's Encrypt API. I could see that. Um, I think most folks, though, I mean, if they're deploying with Docker, they may be deploying multiple times a day. And yeah, then you might run into the rate limit because it's requesting every time it boots up. But uh, you could also just have it check the certificate and say if the certificate is, you know, within such and such an age, because you can sh- you can share with the host file system. You can say well, store yeah. So there. so in this in this that's not a problem. So Greenlock actually automatically checks all the certificate dates mm-hmm. and staggers out renewal. So oh okay. So um, I believe if I remember correctly, it starts renewal no earlier than fifteen days before expiration and completes renewal no later than 10 days. And you can, that's configurable. But if you don't want to get the Let's Encrypt emails telling yeah. you, hey, your certificate's about to expire, you need to renew before 10 days. So during that window, what basically happens is in the, the SNI callback, which is one of the deeper layers of Node that for HTTPS um, and generally TLS certificate handling, um, it'll actually check the date. It loads it into memory, and then just every time it sees a request come in, it'll just check and see what the date is. And then, you know, when it gets within that 15 to 10-day window, it will set a timeout um, for some time in the future mm-hmm. so that you're not renewing all of your certificates on the exact same right. And if I if I remember correctly, it actually sets that timeout when it loads, so it's not setting it at the time that it hits 15 days, it's generating a random time. So there's the actual certificate expiration and then there's the stale time that's kind of a 
fudged number that's that's random between 15 and 10 days. So that way you're not going to hit rate limits by having too many requests per day if you know you're constantly adding and removing domains or something. So if you were if you were uh, doing any sort of hosting uh, as a service, which again is something that lots of people in these IoT spaces are doing, Greenlock is an excellent integration tool for that use case for these reasons. That makes sense. This episode is sponsored by Sentry.io. Recently, I came across a great tool for tracking and monitoring problems in my apps. Then I asked them if they wanted to sponsor the show and allow me to share my experience with you. Sentry provides a terrific interface for keeping track of what's going on with my app. It also tracks releases so I can tell if what I deployed makes things better or worse. They give full stack traces and as much information as possible about the situation when the error occurred to help you track down the errors. Plus, one thing I love, you can customize the context provided by Sentry. So, if you're looking for specific information about the request, you can provide it. It automatically scrubs passwords and secure information, and you can customize the scrubbing as well. Finally, it has a user feedback system built in that you can use to get information from your users. Oh, and I also love that they support open source to the point where they actually open source Sentry if you want to self-host it. Use the code devchat at sentry.io to get two months free on Sentry's small plan. That's code devchat at sentry.io. So what challenges did you run into when building Greenlock? Well, I, I mean, I imagine that some people just hearing me talk have gotten a little confused. I get confused sometimes. It's, uh, I mean, if you've ever, if you've ever implemented OAuth 2, there's a lot of handshakes and it can get confusing. Yeah. And the Let's Encrypt protocol, Acme protocol is, it's very beautiful. Um, it works. It's, it's almost a golden bullet to me in that it can work in very small single user instances, but it also is built so that it will work great in the enterprise. And the detail that they put into the security measures is just beautiful. The way that they're using modern security measures like um, Jose, which is part of the Jose JWT JWS standard Mm -hmm. um, for authentication, authorization, and signing. Um, so it's it's very, very beautiful. But at the same time, it's very um, tedious to implement. And there's a lot of minor details where you do one little thing wrong and it can take you a while to figure out what you're doing wrong. Um, like I've actually had to compile the Go uh, they, they, uh, their, their platform is called Boulder and it's open source. So that's the server side of um, implementation. The, the reference implementation is called Boulder. And I've actually had to look at some of their code and, and download some of it because between the RFC spec, which is very dry, mm -hmm. and what was actually happening, I was confused as to like, I think I'm sending the right object. I think I have the right properties, but I'm getting this opaque error message that's maybe opaque for security or maybe just because they didn't, like pass through every possible error case. And in some cases, it's just like an error happened. And so I actually had to um, compile the Go code and then console.log the output in my node, right? Or I sent it to the server and then read that in as a you know text file and run it through their Jose parser and see, oh, you know, this is why, because I um I I was missing this property, or it turns out this was. The nonce, one case that was interesting was, um, so you can do up to 100 domains at a time, but you need a nonce, which is like, we have salts for passwords. Mm -hmm. For secure APIs, we have nonces, 
So in every request, you include a nonce, and that goes in your signature. So, And basically what it means is that even if an attacker is able to capture the encrypted traffic and then replay the encrypted traffic opaquely, not knowing what it does, there are cases where that would work and the attacker could cause an action to happen. Because of the nonce, every request um, is unique. So whether it succeeds or fails, it has to have this, this nonce value, this random salt right. value. Um, and, and so if you want to validate 100 domains, you actually need 100 nonces. Right. And if you are just naively you know, doing what you normally do, where you uh, create a promise.all and you map through the requests you need to make and you want to do these in parallel, well, if you only had one nonce, you got 99 requests that are guaranteed to fail. Right. So there's little things like that that it's just like I wasn't used to doing it. And so it's like, oh, well, duh. But it was a gotcha for me. That makes sense. I'm also curious. So this is a command line interface tool. And I mean, most people that listen to this show are probably building web technology of some kind, you know, and it was a smattering of uh, server side stuff and mobile stuff. So what, what do you run into building uh, command line interfaces? Well, first, I want to clarify, this is not a command line tool. This is a, an integration for Acme servers to get SSL certificates, uh-huh. for which I have also built okay, a gotcha. command line tool. But the primary use case is people using it with Express. Okay. Um, that said, um, I didn't run into too many snags with the command line tool. Um, pretty pretty well solved, huh? Well, the it's this is pretty simple. It's just taking in some arguments and passing them to the library. Um, so there's there's a couple different ways the tool can be used. Like you can use it with Apache, you can use it with Nginx, um, you can use it with a standalone node process, you can um, use it just for testing. Like the command line tool, like, I think for most people that are using GreenLock is most valuable for. Um, the ability to test it and be like, well, if it works with this known working code, then I know something's wrong with my code. Oh, I gotcha. You know, or just kind of taking an example of it. If somebody's building um, something where they they need to, to pass in some options because what they're building is serving domains from maybe different users or something. But I have had experiences with other command line tools that I've built. So, to address that question, even though it's not on the topic, I would say testing on Windows is really important. Um, it's something that I feel like is really hard to do as a Node developer. Well, just because it seems like as developers, we all have Macs. And, but there are a large number of developers that I want to include. Like, I dream of a world where the average high school student that is not computer savvy but has an interest, like you know, that hunger and thirst to learn, would be able to, you know, use tools that are secure and that work well, um, you know, the kind of tools that scale all the way down to the single high school student, but could also be, you know, are, are, are elegant enough to be used in an enterprise environment. Like, and and so as part of that in mind, like even though I'm not on Windows very often, I want I I want to test in Windows more often because I want things to be easy and to just work even for Windows people that don't have the same tools 
Um, and that's one of the reasons that I don't, I don't like build tools and I'm not you know, a big fan of like Babel and TypeScript and all that. It's because like, I, I really want the things that I create. I really want a high school student with a very limited amount of knowledge to be able to, to, you know, copy and paste and struggle through the readme a little bit and get something working and show somebody like, Hey, I have a secure web server and it's hosting right. my laptop. But like path names are different in Windows. Uh, you don't have Unix sockets in Windows. You have pipes, which work very similarly, but there's just a few peculiarities to them. Um, and I think the path names is a big one. I, I didn't know this for a while. Uh, you should never concatenate path strings in Node. Um, don't do it because you'll, you'll break Windows. But if you use path.join, even if you're using forward slashes instead of backslashes like most of us are, Path.join will actually intelligently switch your forward slashes to backslashes on Windows. Um, and the Node team has tested that really well. So as long as you're not manually concatenating any path strings and you're using things like path.join or the tools that are in Node to do that, um, mm -hmm. that's one way to make stuff better for Windows users so that you don't get bug reports about things breaking. But Windows is just different. And no matter how much we try to abstract it and make it feel like a normal development environment, it's it's got quirks and you have to test on Windows. Right. So uh, one other thing then, just to clarify, you said that uh, Greenlock is not a command line tool. It comes with a command line tool. So if you're going to pull this into an Express app, then you just include it as a dependency and do some config? So it's the other way around, but yeah. So you just you just include it as a dependency, include, it's, it's like, uh, just a few config items. It's your email address that you accept the terms of service um, and what the domains, either the list of domains, a static list of domains that isn't going to change or a callback that has some sort of check that could go to the file system or the database or whatever, but provides some sort of way to check um, if a domain is allowed. Because there's a, there's a security issue that I'd love to talk about. Bring me back around to that. But... You don't you you include your Express app into the Greenlock server. You don't include the Greenlock server in your Express app because Greenlock operates at a lower level. It has to handle um, details of of TLS that you know are really fun to learn, but generally the average developer doesn't want to have to deal with. And so you you're actually the Greenlock in that case is your is acting as your server. You're telling Greenlock right. to to integrate with the node APIs at the lower level. And then at the higher level, you're just bringing in your app. Like I said before, instead of doing app.listen, you're doing module.exports equals app. And then you're doing require my express app. Um, oh, I see. To bring it in. So you're running Greenlock and including your app. Yeah. So Greenlock is actually what's encapsulating, again, because it has to do this low level stuff that there wouldn't be a way to like do app.use greenlock, that wouldn't work because greenlock has to operate down at the, the network socket and TLS right. layer, not up at the high level HTTP layer. Gotcha. So from your perspective, I mean, like I, I'll, I'll uh, link this to you in the chat, just the docs page there. But if you take a look at it, I think you'll see despite my tendency to like want to over explain things and tell you like all the nitty gritty details, it's a very small uh, little snippet of config um, there that you'll see right under the quick start screencast. And in the screencast, I go through, I mean, I'd, I'd highly recommend you take a look at it. It's, 
It's um, like 10 minutes long, I think. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I go through like, here's how it works normally. And then I say, and here's the errors that 90% of people are encountering. Like most of the time when I get an issue, um, if they had watched the, the, the errors part of the screencast, because I think a lot of people stop, like once they get through the two minutes of this is how you do it. Right. There's the next couple minutes of like, here's the errors you'll encounter. Most of the errors that people um, bring up issues for are things that are covered in that screencast. So it's things like not having right permissions to the uh, directory where you want to save the certificates or trying to use port 3000 when you actually have to use port 80 unless you're port forwarding or SNI routing or something like that. Right. Makes sense. So is, is you kind of said that there's a tutorial and a screencast on how to use it. Where do people find that? So I, I linked it to you. We can include it in the show notes. Um, so it's on my personal Git. So it's git.coolaj6.com slash coolaj6 slash greenlock hyphen express.js. And um, that shows you the list of features. It shows you um, the quick start video and then snippets. And then there's an examples folder where uh, it's how to use it with Node's new HTTP module or HTTP2 module. Um, how to use it with Speedy, how to use it with virtual hosting, how to use it with WebSockets. Um, right. So I, and as people raise up issues on things that I think, oh, this would be good to throw in the examples, I try to make sure that, um, you know, there's an example for, for everything. Because a lot of people are used to just kind of um, using WebSockets and Express where I, I think it's a little unfortunate. Sometimes we we tend towards these three line examples, which are great because they give us popularity, but they obscure like really important information. Um, like the way that most people use WebSockets, they don't even know that you could just pass your server into the WebSocket and you could be exporting your whole WebSocket app. That you don't have to. Yeah. So there's there's a couple things when you're doing something like this, you actually need to have your server instance be a server instance that's separate, and you pass that to WebSockets. And um, and with the case of you know Express, you're letting Greenlock run the server instance, and you're passing your Express app to Greenlock. So there's a couple right. things like that that they're extremely simple, but because you know in all these readmes, you just see the three line example where they cut out all of the configuration to show you like here's the most minimal way you could possibly use this. You don't see it and it, it might seem like it could be complicated, but it's not. Makes sense. Is there anything that we should have dived into here that we didn't? Oh, uh, security. There was a, there was a couple issues of security I wanted to touch on. Okay. Um, so we, we, we have new vulnerabilities that never, well, how to say this? So sometimes there's these problems in life, like you were walking around barefoot for the longest time uh -huh. and you got blisters on your feet and then somebody invents a shoe, but the way the shoe is designed, you're likely to get blisters just on your heel. And so instead of people having the mindset of thinking like, oh, like this shoe is better in every way, except it's not as good for uh, my heel they say, well, this shoe gives you blisters on your heel. But really, you were getting blisters on your feet the whole time. So there's right. a number of security issues that weren't necessarily created by Let's Encrypt, but Let's Encrypt brought to light and that we weren't concerned about before. Like, they were always there. They were always problems. 
But now that we have like this great tool and there's like a couple little, you know, problems, like you could look at it in a negative light and say, oh, well, this created new security vulnerabilities, but they were actually always there. We just didn't, because we didn't have the thing protecting our soul, we weren't worried about our heel. And right. so what, what happens with um, Let's Encrypt is one thing is SNI injection and spoofing. This is something that was never really done before because HTTPS was so cumbersome and it was so um, like manual that we we didn't we didn't have network tools that inspected SNI packets. So SNI server name indication okay. is um, when the browser wants to make a handshake with a server, it needs to say what certificate do I want. So I want the certificate for Google.com. So the browser. Um, this is one of the unencrypted pieces of information. This is one of the things about HTTPS that people don't want to know is that you can actually, you know, even though HTTPS encrypts your traffic, there's a number of side channels that you can use to get information about what a person's doing online. So the SNI header is necessary because it allows the server that's responding to give a certificate, but it also tells what site you're visiting. Um, but you can also construct a client, not a browser, to do, um, you know, to put SQL instead of a domain name. So instead of putting google.com as the SNI header, you could put um, uh, drop table students. Right. And if, you're, um, if the thing that's handling your SNI to do dynamic domain certificate issuance is connected to a database and you're not securing that, um, if you're not sanitizing that data, which is, I actually have an open issue. I need to make sure that my sanitization of the SNI headers is, um, is good because I realized the other day that I think there's a couple cases where it, it's not properly sanitized. But, you know, if you were just passing this value straight to a database to, you know, do with this benign lookup of what domain should I be serving the certificate for, uh, you could you know, you could let an attacker not be able to see the result other than perhaps by an error message um, or more likely a timing delay. Um, but you, you have, um, you know, this potential vulnerability that you could be introducing. Also, we always had this problem with certificate issuance where um, a, a certificate authority could somehow be compromised and it could be issuing certificates for domains that it is not that it should not be authorized for. The user did not say, yes, I want to allow this, but the, the authority could issue domains anyway. This has happened from time to time. Well, with Let's Encrypt, one of the early vulnerabilities that caused the CAA record to be introduced was that attackers were able to use like rogue, rogue WordPress installations or something to be able to get certificates for subdomains to valid sites, which would allow them to get around attacks um, where like generally oh, yeah. if you're, if you're on an HTTPS site, you can't load a non-HTTPS script and you can't loan a, um, load certain things that are outside of your origin, like there's cookie permissions and stuff like that. So attackers were actually able to use vulnerable software um, to use the Let's Encrypt account service to get the certificates and then be able to use those cookies to do malicious things um, because the, the domain policy, the security policy was now, quote, in effect. Right. So... This could have happened before, but now that it's easier to get encrypted certificates, it's easier to exploit these things. And that's why the CAA record was introduced. 
Um, there's also H, I get this wrong sometimes, hypertext public key pinning, HPKP, which is another way. Um, so the CAA record is at the authority level saying this is the authority that I allow. HPKP is at the uh, client level. So your server can say, this is the, the key that I use to sign my certificates with. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's something that you can, you can use to further secure. And all of these things contribute to the peer web. Like when anybody can get encrypted connections, that means two people can talk to each other. And even if they they have to use a relay in the middle, the channel is private. And that's what's most right. important about the peer-to-peer -peer connection. Um, more, than the, more than data efficiency, it's the privacy of the channel. And so this, uh, you know, these kinds of technologies um, allow for that. And I think that that's really awesome. In fact, I was super excited to see that Mozilla IoT has been using GreenLock and also Beaker Browser. So you may have um, heard of those. You know, they're both very interested in the peer web and the indie web and stuff. Mm -hmm. and so it was like super cool to find out that they were using um, GreenLock as well. Awesome. If there's anything I've said that's confusing, you want me to simplify or dumb down, feel free to ask. Most of the stuff is simpler than I managed to make it sound because the way that I process information and think about things and I tend to explain more details than are necessary. Well, I think it gives people a bit of a framework. I mean, most of these shows, we can't cover in depth in an hour for people to completely understand a topic, right? So this gets people deep enough to where they can go look at the source code for Greenlock. They can go check out Let's Encrypt. They can go look at the Acme specification, and then they can get an idea of what's going on here, and they can dive deeper if they want. So yeah, I, think, and, I think you've uh, put a lot out there that gives people kind of a, an easy framework to get started with. I'm going to include another link. So I, I actually built a browser version of Greenlock as well. It's not quite the same API yet. Um, but one of my goals with Greenlock, as crazy as it sounds, is I believe this is completely possible, um, and, and hopefully I'll have the time to work on it. Um, I actually want to get so that you can serve a secure website from within a browser. And so not necessarily for that. I don't remember why I started doing it. I think I was just trying to understand the V2 spec. This was back when I was implementing the draft 11 slash V2. Mm -hmm. um, but I went through and I, I didn't know whether or not it would work, but I just started out this way because I was like, well, maybe it will. And it did. So I implemented the Acme spec in the browser. And um, there's so more is going to come out of this. Um, it's but right now I just have a blog article that's like all 12 teen steps in detail with examples of what the requests and responses look like that may or may, may or may not be easier for someone to understand the RFC spec. Mm -hmm. um, but that uh, we, we actually will probably be um, selling domains in the future. And so we have uh, greenlock.domains. Currently there's a kind of a demo app on there that you can use to get your certificate instantly in the browser. Um, obviously there's not automatic renewal because you're downloading the file and you're copying it over to your WordPress instance or whatever. Um, but we, uh, we plan to, to do more along that line. And also, I should mention, I just launched a Patreon. Um, and uh, part of that is to support Greenlock. So I'll put a link there as well. Yeah, definitely put a link 
for that in the show notes. And then, yeah. Anything else we want to jump on before we do picks? Uh, no. All right. Well, do you want to go first or do you want me to go first? You go first. Okay. Deploy more, pay less with DigitalOcean, the simplest all-in-one cloud computing platform for developers. Scale and run cloud applications faster and more efficiently with effortless administration tools to robust compute, flexible configurations, networking services, real-time alerts, and rapid provisioning while enjoying industry-leading price-to-performance with a flat pricing structure across all global data center regions at any usage volume. Spend more time building better web apps and less time worrying about managing infrastructure with DigitalOcean. Build your next app on DigitalOcean. Get started with a free $100 credit at do.co slash jabber. So um, as I mentioned at the start of the show, I took a few weeks off. Um, I was pretty burned out, pretty stressed out. Um, I, I, I'm still working on some of the infrastructure stuff for the podcasts. Um, I'm, I'm actually building my own app in Rails. Uh, probably going to put a view front end on it. I'm kind of a play with stimulus JS as well, so I'm kind of thinking about that. We should probably do an episode on that one. Anyway, um, but yeah, so I spent some time on that and just worked on it, you know, kind of in a no stress way, got a whole bunch of stuff done on it. And that was very actually, um, how do I put it? It, it kind of healed my brain, I guess, a little bit because my, you know, my stress level went down because I was just coding and not, mm-hmm. you know, not obligated to be anywhere or do anything. Yeah. Um, took a few naps uh, during that week, just stuff like that um, was really, really a, po- a positive experience. And then um, last week, my family, uh, we went to a family reunion and just rented a house in Laverkin, Utah. Um which is right near Zion National Park. And we didn't actually go to Zion National Park. We went down to the reservoir one day and played on the lake. Um, and most of the time, just spent time together playing board games or just resting. I got a nap pretty much whenever I wanted one. And so that that was a super positive thing as well. I basically got a week where I didn't... I think I answered two emails, and it was because uh, Michelle, my executive assistant and podcast producer reached out and said, can you, you know, can you answer this or can you handle this? So it was all really, really just a positive uh, thing. And so I'm kind of back in it now and feeling better about things and, you know, know where I'm going next with a lot of this stuff, which was also part of the time that I took just to clarify um, what I want to do and where I want to wind up at. So anyway, um, I, I just recommend to people a lot of times we get caught up in all of the stuff we have going on and all of the things we have to do and you know, you stress out about work and then you go home and you write open source software and stress out about that. Just take some time off. Seriously. <laughs> I mean, that's my pick is just taking time off. Um, but yeah. Uh, how about you, AJ? What are your picks? Uh, so I think this week I thought I had something else too, but I don't remember right now. But um, so Everybody who listens to this show knows I love game music. I pick game music all the time, and today is no exception. I'm picking some game music. So there is a jazz album um, from Press Start up on Overclocked Records. Uh, I haven't actually bought it yet. I've just been listening to the samples, but I think I, I think I may want to support these guys. Um, and it's just got jazzy versions of Mario and Zelda and some other things. And I gotta say, if you like jazz and you like video games you've got to scour overclocked records a little bit and pull out their their jazz stuff um and also when it gets to be christmas time 
it is amazing how many video games have great Christmas music because they have like winter levels or actual like Christmas town or something like that in the game. Um, Mario has tons of it, you know, with all the Mario 64 snow levels and stuff like that. So uh, anyway, I just, I love game music. I think it's great. I think that um, in general, I just, I love music and I want to see more diversity in, um, in, in music in general. And so I really love sites like Overclocked Records and Bandcamp and things like that, where it's, it's, um, you know, just something that's got a little bit more grit to it than what you're going to hear usually on the radio. Um, it's not just songs written by that one dude in Sweden that comes up with every single top 40 song lyrics ever. So, yeah. Sounds good. Well, thanks for talking through this with us, AJ. I know that Let's Encrypt is something that people have talked about, and I, I just love the idea of having a clean and relatively simple integration with things like Express. You know, or if you want to go do your own thing, you've got the CLI and, and, and stuff like that where you can and the plugins. On it. Yeah, and the plugins. So where yeah, do people I'm, find the plugins? I'm curious. Well, so um different people I, I try to keep track of them. Like I, I try to search every once in a while because sometimes people tell me, like, hey, I built this plugin, and sometimes they don't, and I just find it on NPM. Um so on the main documentation page uh for greenlockexpress.js. Uh, there's a plugin section and that's where they're listed. And if anybody, you know, wants a, a plugin, that is something that would be like um, great to let me know about, especially if you wanted to make a, a Patreon pledge and then give me some information about a plugin. Um, Cause I, I'd love to, you know, personally develop more of these. I think there's some really good ones that are, that are still missing, but we've got a, a good start and um some some good examples to draw from to kind of copy and whatnot, but uh, yeah, that's that's where they're listed, and I I would be happy to list more. So if you are building one, you want help, please open an issue. Um, sometimes I get backlogged and I can't answer right away, but I try to be responsive about these, and um, and that's you know part of what the Patreon is for is to to help me be in a situation where I can be very responsive to some of these um, these core projects that I'm maintaining and building. Um, and uh, yeah, I'd, I'd love to help and I'd, I'd love to contribute to, to more of them myself in the future. Sounds good. All right. Well, I guess we'll wrap it up right there and we'll catch everyone next week. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.